This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show and UFC 269 is in the rearview mirror and what an event it was. Might be the best pay-per-view of the year. And to help me break that down, recap that, is of course, one of one, the lone member, inaugural member mm-hmm. of the Glory Kickboxing Hall of Fame. That's it. There it is. We'll let it breathe. Let it breathe. Bazooka Joe Valvolini, always right. happy to have you join me, especially after an event like this. I've been sitting and just stewing, waiting to talk about this, yeah. so I'm very excited. I did a radio interview yesterday in Saskatchewan uh, over the phone, and I was just like, I was on fire. I couldn't wait to talk all about right. it. So why don't so we get keep started? That, why we... Keep that energy here. Yeah, let's keep that same energy. Saskatchewan all that energy. we got to get it here. <laughs> let's talk about the Komen event first, because obviously okay. uh, one of the biggest upsets, if not the biggest upset in title fight history, and I guess we can debate that, is uh, Juliana Pena capturing the women's bantamweight title from Amanda Nunes. So, Joe, I just want to ask you this question. Did that look like yep. Amanda Nunes to you? No, not at all. I saw uh, a very inexperienced fighter come out, to be honest with you. I think she got caught in a firefight. Um, she tried to fight too much with maybe emotion and not as the goat that she is. I think she didn't reset her distance. She just sat there and started whipping punches back. Like, I mean, that's what's something we do as amateurs. And I didn't see... Uh, that big power puncher we're used to. I didn't see the, you know, the in and out, the fainting. She just sat there with her head on a platform and just started exchanging. So, yeah, I didn't see the uh, the Amanda Nunez that I've seen in the past. And uh, why was that? I don't know. That's for her to come out and tell us. But uh, not not the one I knew. What about you? Well, I'll say this. Those exchanges that Juliana Pena had with Nunez is what I expected to happen in this fight. I expected Juliana Pena to throw, but because Juliana Pena is not the most technical striker, mm-hmm. I figured Amanda Nunez would throw a jab right down the middle and just kind of rattle her and, and take over from there. The problem is, I gave Julia Pena, sorry, Juliana Pena, I should probably get that right since she's the new champion, uh, I gave her the credit for having the heart. I said before the fight, I can't question her desire. I believe yeah. her when she says she's going to win this fight. Like, I believe that she believes that. You know, I'm, I, I, I don't... When I saw different fighters walk into the building to face Nunez, I didn't get the sense that they had as much confidence as Juliana Pena did. But confidence can only get you so far. Yeah. The yeah. thing that I believe that I did not give Juliana Pena credit for and that pretty much everybody else didn't give her credit for because we don't have any evidence on the contrary... She has a great chin. And I think that we, because it's Amanda Nunes, you expect her to crack somebody, regardless of who it is, kind of like Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou cracks you, you're going down. I feel like we gave Amanda Nunes that same benefit of the doubt. I agree. But Juliana Pena's chin is something that we completely overlooked going into this fight because she has been KO'd before. It was a doctor stoppage against Sarah Morris, Canadian, uh, back earlier in her career. But we haven't really seen her get dropped. We haven't really seen somebody go after her in the striking realm. And while her striking isn't that technical, if you can stand there and trade with somebody to the point that they're exhausted, you can beat them. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the game plan. And like you said, it's her striking isn't better, but... She saw something in Amanda's old fights that she said Amanda doesn't like to be bullied. She doesn't like to be pushed back. She likes to bully someone. So the fact that she was able to sit in the pocket, take Amanda's best shots, keep firing back, I mean, uh, I think that was the key for her. She wasn't scared. And, I mean, I guess if a lot of people, if you fight Amanda, you see the the double champ, you see the pedestal she's put on, but you got to fight her head-to-head and and bring the fight. So 
perfect game plan. Apparently, that was what they planned, and she kind of went right after it. So, uh, I mean, to go after Amanda like that, that's, that's courage. That's confidence. I thought she was all talking the – I mean, in the press conference, I'm like, did she know who she's talking about? Like, this is crazy. Like, I even saw that overconfidence in Cody Garbrandt, too. And, I mean, there's something well, I guess we'll get to there eventually. But there was just that little bit of extra confidence. I felt Pena's confidence even got into Amanda a bit. I felt like Amanda was kind of coming out and and the emotions uh, started in the press conference, I believe. And Pena's just phenomenal the way she put it all together. And I think it was the fight week. Her confidence, the way she went right after it, it was just all well executed. It kind of reminds me of Nunez's win over Cyborg. They went chin for chin, they went at it, and the, the better striker that night won. And, yeah. I, and yeah. here's the thing about the second round. If you go back and watch it and you shut the commentary off, you just mute it. That's a close round. Nunez was tagging her with big shots. You saw Pena's face start to swell. Mm-hmm. Because we have the announcers going crazy because you're not expecting Pena to stand in the pocket and trade with her and have some success in that realm... You're kind of diminishing what Amanda Nunez was doing. Amanda Nunez was landing good shots. So if you watch that mute up until uh, the point where you see Amanda start to really slow down and her face change and she gets exhausted, Nunez was winning that round to a point. Like she, I I don't know if I can say she was winning that round, but she was having a lot of success that a lot of people would kind of overlook. But again, I don't think people gave Pena the credit for her chin. And I also think, and I agree with Chael Sonnen, and I hate to say it because I'm not a mixed martial artist like Chael Sonnen is, but Nunez was looking for a way out. And when that submission was locked in, it wasn't locked in. I mean, she was just starting to get the hooks in when Amanda tapped. Pena, yeah. did, Pena didn't even know it was over. She went over to the corner and somebody from the commission had to tell her that she won. Because she, you know, like, she <laughs> yeah. didn't really feel a tap. It was kind of a soft tap. And it was also, the, like, she was still establishing the position. That, to me, is the most telling part of this fight and the frame of mind that Amanda Nunez entered this fight in. Because we've seen Amanda Nunez go five hard rounds against Shevchenko, uh, against Felicia Spencer, against... You know, Jermaine Durandamay. We've seen her go five rounds. So in the second round, you're telling me she's exhausted to the point where she's looking for a way out? Something had to have happened in the lead-up to that fight. Whether it was a lack of preparedness, whether it's long-term COVID ramifications. I don't know if that's the case. I had read online uh, somewhere that uh, a source had said that maybe she was having some issues recovering. I don't know. I can't speculate on that. But something was off. I'll just say that. Yeah, I mean, it could be the overconfidence. I mean, what's that famous line? Uh, she's been sleeping in Gucci pajamas mm-hmm. and silk pajamas for a while that maybe, and being the mother, I mean, sometimes when you see it with it, when you have a child, sometimes that brings out more in you. Sometimes that makes you a softer fighter. I don't know. But I mean, we don't know the answer, but is that going to be, I think in a rematch, I mean, I still will probably put Amanda as a favorite in a re- in the rematch. She is a favorite. She's around a minus three thirty favorite already. Oh, still that yeah, high? Okay, that high already. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, she is the big favorite in the rematch, which might take place probably sometime mid- midway through next year, I would guess. But uh, where do you rank this in terms of upsets? Because if you look at the odds, the odds were similar to GSP Sarah. They were similar yeah. to Holm Rousey. Um, those are kind of the two that come up, and they were also kind of similar to Barrow versus Dillashaw. Um, and Frankie versus BJ Penn won. Like those were all kind of longer odds. I think the longest odds probably would have been GSP Sarah at a time really where MMA betting was not what it is now, where there wasn't as much line movement. So yeah. I don't know if I if I kind of put that on equal footing. But where do you rank it in terms of if you're looking at just title shots, big stage upsets? Where do you put it? Well, I, I it's hard it's hard to tell. I mean, because I think the recency bias kind of comes into effect here for me. But I I, I don't know. It's what to me like. All those other fights you mentioned, even the the Ronda Holmes, like I just felt like 
were they as dominant as Amanda was as the champion, you know? Like, I mean, I think just how Amanda's been, you know, the double champ, the status, I, I honestly may think Pena's might top it all, to be honest. I mean, the other ones, I, I understand that, but I think there was more chances for the other person. I, I didn't really give her a chance at all, to be honest. Um, yeah, nobody was talking finish, about it. Oh, this is what Peyton needs to do to win or anything like that. Nobody talked about that. Yeah. I think it's it's more of an upset almost than GSP Sarah, I think. I don't know. Just to think how dominant GSP at that time was what was what? Like a newer champion? GSP had never defended the belt at that time. He's 26 years yeah, old. Had I mean, never defended look at the Amanda. belt. Yeah. Like Amanda, two-time champion. Like So that's, for me, it's got to be one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest. Well, I would say that I think Matt Serra winning that was a bigger surprise because he won like a season of the Ultimate Fighter to get that title shot. And GSP was looking really good. He had already lost in the UFC. It's not like GSP was completely bulletproof at that point in time. But he was, like, like I just said, he was only 26 years old. Had never defended the title. Yeah. Was also admittedly not preparing for that fight at all. He said he bought into his own hype at that time. He was out partying. He, you know, he admitted that his, he did not have his eyes on the prize for that fight. Um, and then you look at Rousey. We kind of Rousey was kind of exposed by home because then you saw what Nunes did to Rousey in the follow up, and that Rousey walked away from the game. You could tell that Rousey was not as good. She didn't have as good of an all around game as as mixed martial artists have today. She was a specialist in a time where you could get away with being a specialist. Um, DJ Dillashaw Brow was pretty surprising, but Brow was kind of, he was kind of the placeholder champion at that time because Dominic Cruz was injured. Yeah, he had that yeah. massive winning streak, so that was definitely a surprise, but I, I kind of agree with you, Joe. I think in terms of upsets, I think it's number one because yeah, Amanda yeah. Nunes had cleaned out 135 and 145 pounds. The, the, the cupboard was bare. Juliana Pena was two and two in her last four. She had had a baby during that time. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, her wins were over yeah. Nico Montano and Sarah McMahon. Those were her two wins to get a title shot. She had lost by submission to Jermaine Durandame just over a year ago. And Jermaine Durandame, I don't know if she's ever submitted anybody before that. I, I think that might have been her first submission win. Like, th these are the kind of things where you look at what her background is. This was expected to be a walkover. Yeah. I think this yeah. is the biggest upset of all time. And not only is it, is it a big upset, Juliana Pena beat her everywhere in that fight. Yeah, submitted her, you know. I mean, Amanda's the champion in a weight class ahead. You know, like she's the featherweight champion. Like, so you're really beating someone in a weight class. Like you can almost say Penny is the two time champ, you know, the double champ, because she beat someone who can actually beat, you know, featherweight. So I just think what it's 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 incredible. Like I just the storyline is just I, I think we we have to agree it is number one based on how big of a star Amanda is. Well, here's another thing. The updated pound for pound rankings came out. Did you see them by any chance? Uh, I'm on the UFC site now. Oh, don't look now. Don't look. Don't okay, look. I no, want, I want to get looking. your guess. What's your guess? Women's pound for pound. Give me the top three. The women's pound for pound. Well, Shevchenko, Amanda, and uh, I guess you'd have to put Juliana now. Here's the top three. Number one is Shevchenko. Okay. Fair. Number two is Rose. And number oh, three yeah, Rose, is yeah. Nunes. And I think that is absolutely moronic. How do you... Okay. How can you... Take what Amanda Nunes has accomplished to this point in time. And because she lost one fight, completely diminish her, her pound, pound for pound status. She's still the champion three. in the division. She's still the champion yeah. at 145 pounds. Her resume, she, she's beaten the now number one pound for pound person twice. Yeah. And so Rose was number two? Or Rose, Rose is number was two. Rose is number Rose two. Rose was number two. And Valentina yeah, number one. one has to be. Yeah. No, it doesn't. But I mean, it doesn't have still, to be. No, it doesn't. No, no, no. Because Amanda beat her twice, Amanda too. beat her twice. Yeah, Okay. I mean, just based on the recency, I could understand that. But no, Amanda won, Shevchenko too, should stay. It just, yes, it you're just right. drives me crazy how much people overcorrect the steering wheel with a loss.
Yeah. Like, listen, there are no fairy tale end- endings in in MMA, and we can talk about that for the main event also. But unless you walk away on top, which so few people, one of whom is you, Joe Valtellini, has a fair. You have kind of a fairy tale ending, although kind of a tragic ending because, of course, yeah, you a walked bit away of both. Did head, head injuries. But GSP has a storybook ending. He won a second title, walked yeah. away. Habib, of course, is the number one example. Undefeated, yeah. walked away. There are so few of those stories in MMA. But you can't diminish someone's legacy on one loss. You just can't. Amanda Nunes has lost to Kat Singano before. We've seen Amanda Nunes lose. And she built up this GOAT status. How many wins in a row does she have since her last loss? Her last loss to Kat Singano was in 2014. It was seven plus years ago. Since then, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve wins in a row over a former, two former Invicta champions, uh, Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer, over Jermaine Durand, a former UFC featherweight champion, over Holly Holm, a former UFC bantamweight champion, a former boxing champion, a boxing Hall of Famer, against Chris yep. Cyborg, who at the time a lot of people would have said was the pound-for-pound pound number yeah, one in women's MMA, the greatest featherweight of all time, most likely, even though she lost to, uh, to Nunez. Raquel Pennington, uh, Valentina Shevchenko, who is currently number one. Ronda Rousey, who at the time was seemingly unbeatable, was I think everybody thought was going to be the greatest female fighter of all time. Misha yeah. Tate, another, again, a former champion as well. She was the champion at the time. And Valentina Shevchenko again, plus another win before, wins before that against Jermaine Durandame, Julia Budd, yeah. who's one of the greatest 45ers of all time. I mean, like, you can't take that resume and throw it out the window because of a loss to Juliana Pena on a bad night. Yeah, I know. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think it's ridiculous to say that now that you spit the facts, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm with you. She's still I the greatest complain. of all time. Like, I, I don't know who else you could consider. Yeah, you can't. There's nobody. I mean, the Ro- Rose nobody. has lost, come back, you know? Like, Shevchenko with maybe a few more dominating wins, you know? Could you? But I still think it takes some time for Shevchenko to get to there. But who's Shevchenko a- beating? Like, who has she, aside from Joanna? Who but has just clearing out beaten? the division, you know, sitting at the top. Like, that's yeah, got to mean think about something, the, right? Think about the accolades of the people that Amanda Nunes has beaten. Like, she's yeah. beaten some of the yeah. greatest female fighters of all time. The best win on Valentina's resume is Joanna Janjacek, who's fought up a division. Is there a better win? Am I, am I missing something? I'm trying to pull up no. a page here, but I can't think of anybody. Like, here's her resume. If you're going to make her number one pound for pound, Lauren Murphy who had so much trouble getting her footing in the UFC. She did, has a great resume at flyweight, but, I mean, well, she was a minus 1,000 favorite in that fight. Jessica Andrade, former strawweight champion, good win for sure. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to take anything away from her there. But Andrade has, I think, how many times has she lost this? She's lost two fights at flyweight now. Uh, Jennifer Maya, who I think everybody expected Valentina to completely trounce. Same yep. with Caitlin Jukagian. Same with Liz Carmouche. Same with Jessica I. A win over Priscilla Cachuera and a win over Juliana Pena, who just and and Holly Holm. Those are two great wins. I, I don't want to take anything away from her there, as well as Sarah Kaufman, who's one of the greats. So that's a good resume, but we're not talking about a cyborg here. There's no cyborg. There's no Ronda on this resume. You know, there's. So I just can't consider well, it's almost, anybody. That's almost like the GSP Kamara Usman debate. Then at that point, too, you know, I mean, it's 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 always hard to go back and look at the opponents they fought in those kind of things. You know, well, it's thing. tough. People oh, say, yeah. oh, well, you know, look at who he's beaten. Look at Colby Covington, such a great fighter. The reason why GSP was so great is because he took great fighters and made them look awful. Like, he yeah. made, he embarrassed people. And be created it at a time where mixed martial arts was nothing, basically. He, he was the face to kind of elevate it as a technician, too, right? Mm-hmm. It was Chuck Liddell sitting there with mohawks right. and, and tattoos swinging bombs. And then the technician, GSP, you know, like, he created a... 
created a, uh, an empire, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, well, he basically, he was, I think, the person that's responsible for people training mixed martial arts. Like, for rather than training, like, one dialect, because yeah. he was so good everywhere, yeah. everybody had to kind of catch up to GSP. Not to mention, which a lot of people forget to talk about with GSP, he sat out his prime. Like, he basically, his, if your prime years in years, MMA, right? Yeah, if your prime years in MMA are 31 to 35, which is what I believe they are, basically okay. sat that out. Like, can you imagine how much more he could have added to his resume if he if he didn't sit that out? I know. Yeah, it's scary. But maybe mentally, because he seemed like it was he left because of mental issues. It could have been worse for him, yeah, right? If he couldn't he get could out of his knocked head out by too. Robbie Lawler. But that's why I think it's great why he left on top and came back. He did it so smart, you know. Mentally, mm -hmm. he knew he didn't have it in him anymore. So yeah. yeah. So I just I don't know. I get annoyed when I hear people talk about like they talk about Nunes like it's nothing. And I, I made a tweet. I actually deleted it because people were dunking on me for, because they think they're, they're smart, Alex, that I was shocked that Peña said she wasn't impressed by Nunez. Like, what else does Nunez need to do to impress you? Like, look at the resume. Yeah. So people are like, oh, yeah. no, look what happened. What, so she's not impressive anymore? The win over Cyborg is nothing now? It's, Just it's meaningless? Yeah, one, one mistake That's, and one it bad It drives me crazy about the sport. Because yeah. here's the, the thing. tough. The best it's fighters all have losses on their record. Like, aside from Khabib again, I'll bring Khabib up again. He's the, kind of the anomaly. But almost every great mixed martial artist has a loss on their record. John Jones even, on his record, technically has a loss. That loss to yeah. Hamill is still yeah. considered a loss. An yeah, unblemished still. record is not really possible in this sport, for the most part. You yeah. know, unless you are Khabib and you leave at 31, 32, like right before, when you're entering your prime. And, and to me, it's almost like this last two years has been almost a two years of upsets. You know, and, and I mean, you got to think even from boxing standpoints, like Teofimo Lopez losing to Cambosis. Like we've seen a lot of big upsets this year. And one one article that I saw, I don't know who who wrote it or I, I can't give credit to it, but they said, look at the end of the year of who the UFC champions are. You would have never expected to see who's the current champions, mm -hmm. to see Oliveira, to see Pena, um, who else uh, was there that's been an impressive? Uh, Glover Teixeira. Yeah. You would have never uh, predicted that these guys would be the champions. So I think it's a, it's a good time for the the underdogs. You know, mm -hmm. It's a, the year of the underdog, basically. Yeah. That's what makes this sport so great is anybody can win on any given night. And on Saturday night, Charles Oliveira, his first title defense at lightweight, defeats Dustin Poirier. Third round, about a minute in. This fight kind of went exactly how I thought it was going to go, Joe. I, I don't it, mean to pat myself on the it, back, but this I was is... going to say you can you can tell me because you even picked the submission prop as well. I picked the submission prop, and I also laid out how I thought it was going to happen. And uh, yep. I thought it was going to be second or third round. I thought Poirier was going to land good shots on Oliveira. Oliveira was going to have to hang in there and just pick his spots and find the opening, and he found the opening. Yeah, I, I I was I my gut was telling me Poirier fourth. You know, he was going to get a TKO, but. Charles Oliveira, man, it's just uh, it's a nice when you see him win. You're you're whether you're a fan of him or not, you're just happy when you see him win. I don't know, you know, it's just uh, I just like his uh, the the energy and vibe and what he brings to the sport, and he's just nasty. He'll choke you. He'll the way he can put it all together. I think uh, it's really starting to show why um, he deserves his title. I'd say it was about sixty five thirty five last week on on Oliveira, but as the week went on, my my colleague Dan Tom, who works over at MMA Junkie raised a really good point about Poirier, that within the first minute of all of Poirier's fights, he backs up against the cage. Like, he, his muscle memory has him go backwards against the cage. And against Charles Oliveira, he can find so many openings on you if you're not, in, if you're not creating space, if you're not, you know, managing your distance and, and, you know, trying to be at the center of the cage. 
key, I think, is that it's most dangerous when you're up against the cage. And Poirier kind of defaults to going backwards against the cage. And that's when I kind of went 80-20 Poirier, uh, Oliveira, where I was yeah. really confident on Oliveira. And I didn't think Oliveira was going to find the knockout. I thought that it would be bad for him to exchange with Poirier. Um, which he was doing during the fight, but I, yeah. I just... He ate some big shots. Yeah, I, once Charles Oliveira has you wrapped up, like once he has you in a choke, it's going to be very difficult for any human to escape that choke. He's just got such a good grip. And those long, his long kind of spindly arms, I mean, it, it just, it's basically like a bone going into your throat. Like, I, I don't know how people are going to get <laughs> out of this guy. Like, this guy's choked when he gets them locked in. And he's fearless. I mean, he's got a chin. He came forward. He was throwing jumping knees in mid-range. Like, are you crazy? Mm -hmm. Like, against a power puncher who's a southpaw, who's loading up his left hand to crack you, you're going to sit there and you're going to throw a scissor knee multiple times? Like, you're crazy, man. Mm -hmm. Like, zero (laughs) respect for the striking. That's exactly what he had uh, with Poirier striking. Zero respect for it. So, (laughs) I mean, that's why when I think, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm I'm sure you'll tell me in a second here, but... uh, uh, with the Gaethje Oliveira, like Gaethje ain't uh, like Gaethje's not intimidating. Oliveira's not intimidating. So I'm assuming Oliveira's going to be uh, a good favorite in that one. He's a minus two hundred favorite. Yeah, oh, that's pretty big for a title fight, I yeah. would say. And Gaethje's got massive power. I think that could be the undoing of Charles Oliveira. When he, if he tries to go toe to toe with somebody with big power, that could be a problem. Although. Listen, the if Michael Chandler kick, can survive the power I'm of Gaethje. I'm thinking the calf kick. I'm thinking calf kick in that fight will be have to be it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll have to see. It has to be. Um, yep. uh, you know, back in the day, Robin Black came up with something called the Sap Alvarez graph. Do you remember this at all? Uh, nope. So basically, he was talking about risk in MMA. And okay. he had Bob Sapp at one end because Bob Sapp would, like, tap as soon as you started to get a choke on him. Like, he just okay. didn't want to get hurt like he, yeah. late in his career. And one then Alvarez, he was crying and tapping out because I think he took too many shots yeah. from uh, Ernesto Hust, exactly. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I you look it. at Eddie Alvarez at the other end who's just always going forward. He's willing to take risks to win. Like, Oliveira's definitely at the Alvarez level or above in terms of risk aversion. He just does not care. And he yeah. doesn't... He, he's not looking to go to the judges. He's looking to get finishes, and that's all he's doing is hunting finishes. He's the most, I think, the most opportunistic fighter we've ever seen in MMA. I agree. And why do you think he has the most finishes in the UFC? Because he takes risks, you know? Without the, big re- without the risk, there isn't a reward. And, I mean, that's what I kind of always brought into my career. Like, I, I finished my career 12-2, and two, and of my 10 wins, I, you know, I think nine were by knockout, like, I it was just what you do you commit to it I mean if I was up two rounds guess what I was doing in the third round I'm gonna try to finish you in the third round and that's why an Oliveira he doesn't care to coast out that third round he's gonna try to finish you in any of the rounds he's just gonna keep going for it he'll take the big risks to get the finish he doesn't get care he can throw those scissor knees and wild things because if he gets taken down he's just as dangerous on the ground so I'm uh, he's gaining a lot of steam as uh, one of my favorite fighters to watch in the UFC well, the thing with jiu-jitsu is you look at the high-level jiu-jitsu guys that have gone over to MMA, like the Rodolfo Vieiras, uh, um, you know, Antonio Carlos Jr., the Machidas, Hodger Gracie. The, not the Machida. Um, Who are you thinking of? Maya, Maya Damian, Damian Maya. Maya. Damian These Maya. guys are all, like, if, if you look at jiu-jitsu, it's like cutting a knife through butter. It's very slow, very smooth. Olivero is like a chainsaw through butter. Like, this guy's just looking for subs yeah. instantly. Offensive grappling, like, man. He Love is it. just opportunistic jujitsu that's all it is it's like he's not using it to like win tournaments he's using it to, to choke <laughs> you and hurt you oh yeah right like whereas yeah. i think that in competitive jujitsu it's very like 
you know what I mean? It's kind of kind of like very flowing and very like you're transitioning from one spot to another very seamlessly. Oliveira's just like attack, attack, attack. And I just think I think in terms of jujitsu for MMA, he's the guy. Yeah, I mean, why is it like the Gary Tonin's like very fun to watch? Like, if you watch most grappling, you'd be like, eh, let's be honest, it's not the most exciting. But when you watch a Gary Tonin and those, he's constantly attacking. Is he going for your legs? Is he going for your ankles? If he doesn't get the ankles, he's gone back to your back. And then all of a sudden, you're in a triangle. And then from the triangle, he's attacking your arm. Mm-hmm. And then you're yeah. in a Kimura. And then it's like, that's fun. You know, mm-hmm. any offensive combat sports is fun. So if you're going to be a grappler, a, a jiu-jitsu, even a wrestler, if you're just going to lay on someone, you're boring. But if you keep picking them up, slamming them, dropping them, picking them up, throwing them, that's fun wrestling. You know, like whatever combat sport you're doing, like it could be fun when it's offensive. So he brings offense in every aspect of his game, whether it's on the feet, on the ground. We need more of those. Those are entertainers. And I think that's, you know, the sport grows with entertainers, in my opinion. All right, let's break down the rest of the card. Jeff Neal defeats uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Split decision. Uh, close fight. Just a very close fight where really you could have scored any three of those rounds, if I recall correctly, for any of those guys. Um, I thought Jeff Neal won the first round. Uh, but, again, you, I think because of how close those rounds are, you could just go almost any which way. Yeah. So I have a – I decided to sit and watch the press conference this show. I was okay. like, you know what, let me sit and – take my time read the body language on guys i got messed up on all of my bets because of that i can't watch press conference anymore <laughs> i went cody garbrandt so confident he, i'm like kara france has no no chance look how cool when has cody confident. garbrandt ever not been confident I like know. his confidence okay, level is always through the roof extra this seemed beyond ponzinibbio like he seemed beyond confident like and i mean both of those guys you know the overconfidence i think kind of got them i mean Look at their opponents. Kara France, cool, calm, you know, let the guy talk. You know, Jeff Neal didn't really say much at the press conference. Mm-hmm. It's the the the, the big talkers kind of got, got shown up this night. So yeah, and even O'Malley, like O'Malley's yeah. still pretty he's he, like, he, he talks a lot of smack, but he's still very like level when he does yeah. it. He doesn't like yeah. get carried, he doesn't get excited. He just you know, he's very like you know he's very like mild mannered almost when it comes to this kind of thing. He's not Super looking to like, he just, he just tells it like how he thinks it is. Right. Like he's just yeah. kind of honest about things. But um, the two biggest mouths lost that found, you yeah. know, like, geez, but Jeff Neal got it done. I mean, it was a close fight if anything, but I, I just don't know close? which, I don't know which two rounds I would have scored for Ponzinibbio when I was watching it live. I just, it, to me, it seemed like Neal had won the first and the third. And I, I thought Ponzinibbio yeah. won the second. Like I thought that was a pretty clear round. So, I was surprised that it was kind of all over the place. I thought it was kind of a clear 29-28. Although, again, very close fight. Yeah, It was probably... It was still a decent fight. It was probably the least fun of all the fights on the card. That's how good the card was, you right. know? Like, it was the one that gave us a little break between two big bangers. Yeah. So, But decent fight. I think it it showed a lot for the welterweights, kind of, of the... Of, like, who's going up, who's going down. I think it was a good middle ground fight. Uh, Kai Car France... As we alluded to earlier, knocks out Cody Garbrandt in the first round. Right when this fight was starting, I had this thought that Kai Car France was going to knock him out in the first round. I just like I don't know what it was. I was like something's just something feels wrong, feels off about this. Like I don't know what it was, yeah. but and I mean Kai and, and if you looked at them in the cage together, Cody looked a lot bigger than Kai Car France. Yeah, but I just I, it was like I was saying to you last week. I just cannot trust the chin of Cody Garbrandt anymore. I like I I I know that he's talented. I know that he throws good punches. Um, and I think a video was done by Connor Raybush, who does the uh, the heavy hands show, 
where he was showing all of these, like basically several times in the first round, and again, not a very long fight, where Cody Garbrandt was kind of leading with his, I think it was leading with his left, I'd have to go back and watch it. And Kai Kerr fans just kept capitalizing on that one thing, that one nuance, and he just kept going back to it. Yeah, I mean, Cody has great boxing, and when I see him, he's smooth, he's powerful, he moves his head, but for some reason when he fights, like, it overthrows thing and then doesn't move his head. Like, I feel like when you watch him on pads, I was like, I don't think anybody's got his speed that he has on his hands, the way he puts his combinations together. I just think in fights, he gets a little emotional, keeps his head high, and then, you know, you just get cracked and... Care of France being the, the great striker he is, the good team behind him. And the number one thing about city kickboxing, and I mean, you can say they're, they're, kick, uh, they're striking this and that, but what makes them great is they focus on the small details. And the smallest details of fainting make a huge difference in MMA. So seeing Care of France faint, get Cody to bite, and then just openings were there. And I think good striking IQ got uh, uh, Care of France the win. And I mean, I think Kara France has a career in just going to carnivals and getting people to guess his age because that kid, <laughs> he, looks, so he looks like he's 16 he's years like old. Chris and I hear him talking, he has kids. I was like, huh? Kara <laughs> France, he's old enough to have kids? Like, yeah. I don't even know how old he is, but he looks like a child. Yeah, Jeez. Like Chris Hordesky and like uh, like Tony Laramie who fought that last yeah. week. He looks like a, well, Tony Laramie is oh, really yeah. young, though. <laughs> Hordesky's a good one, yeah. Jeez, shout out to Tony Laramie, by the way. Tony Laramie looks fantastic. Did you see Tony Laramie's fight? Uh, No. Where was that? It was uh, on uh, LFA. looked awesome. Oh, really? You should go back and watch it. Because I know he's trained with you. Is he not, Tony? Yeah, yeah. He's coming. Yeah, he's coming. Tony's boxing looked phenomenal in that fight. I call him Little Laramie. Yeah. Right? Well, he looked Little great. Laramie and Big Laramie. Well, so. Big Laramie looked really big. <laughs> Cornering. I didn't even <laughs> yeah. recognize TJ. He I looked... thought he, he was supposed to fight recently, right? What happened? Um, he, I think I he asked He got an you, injury right? of some sort. But yeah, he looks like he was pushing like a buck 80. He looked big. Like, I've yeah. never seen TJ look that big. But I mean... Tony looked, uh, I'm not trying to, to, you know, say anything bad about his conditioning or anything. He could be injured and not able to train. But, I mean, Tony looked phenomenal. You should oh, really go back Tony's and watch tough. it. It's on Fight okay. Pass yeah. if you want to go back yeah. and watch it. Done. And uh, we also have a new champion uh, uh, in LFA, uh, Jamie Horth from the uh, the West Coast. She had uh, Jay Johnson in her corner and uh, they ended oh, up winning nice. the uh, Women's Flyweight Championship. Yeah, I saw Jay in the corner uh, on his Instagram. So, yeah, yeah I guess that's who he was with. Kudos to those two Canadians on the, uh, the regional scene there. Um, let's continue. Sean O'Malley. Defeats Howley and Paiva, TKO. Just kind of stayed cool, stayed collected, and uh, and was able to, to pick Paiva apart. And I'm, I'm curious to see what's next for Sean O'Malley because it seems like he's just going to keep consistently beating fighters at this level. And then yeah. once he gets to a certain level, as soon as he beats one of those guys, he's in Cody Garbrandt territory where like you're yeah. expected to stay with all these tough fights over and over again. Well, I was uh, listening to the Brandon Schaub show where you got your shout-out from him, by the way. Yeah, which shout I out to him you. and the chin. Yeah, him and Chin gave you the shout out. But uh, he was saying how he thinks Sean O'Malley outside of Conor McGregor is the biggest star that the UFC can have. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I'd like to see what the numbers for this event are before I can really make a, a, an like educated outside comment of the numbers, on it. But do it you seems like people really that? care about Sean O'Malley. Like yeah. Sean O'Malley has... He's one of those guys, it's almost like what Howard Stern used to say. Like, the people that, that hate me listen to me more than the people that don't that like me. Like, he's one of those guys that is so polarizing that you either love the guy or you hate the guy. And Conor McGregor kind of had that too. But everybody cares about Sean O'Malley. And that's why he has the kind of audience that he has. People care about what this guy does. I think his style is interesting. I think that the way he carries himself uh, is kind of some, you know, somewhat Conor-esque. And one of the perfect examples of that is you watch the press conference and, like, 
you wouldn't have thought that Cody Garbrandt was fighting Kaikara France. It was just him yeah. and Sean O'Malley. Owning and that's what it, people yeah. used to do with Connor. They'd be at press conferences with Connor, and everybody would try to take their shot at Connor. They, they want to get their shot. Yeah, I th- I th- I still think Connor's light years ahead, obviously, yeah. in, in the way he does it. But outside of Connor, though, like I would have maybe thought, is he just more of an it factor than uh, uh, than Sean O'Malley? What do you think? Is is he more of that it? Yeah, factor? I would like, say so. But is he's a champion, right? Too. Like, but if Sean O'Malley in, in a year or two is he that big star of the UFC? Well, here's the in, thing with in the two years. Here's the thing with stardom. When was Sean O'Malley stocked the lowest? After that loss to Cheeto Vera. Oh, the guy's a phony. He's a fraud. He's not that good. If you win, you build your star. And I think Sean O'Malley knows that because he talks about how he doesn't want to take five-round fights if he doesn't have to. You know, he doesn't want to fight the best guys in the division. Yet he says he has time. But yeah. the way you build your brand is by winning. And, if, and he's actually said this to me in an interview before. I think it was actually before the Cheeto Vera fight. He goes, winning is the only way that I can continue to build my brand up. He knows exactly. that. And I think yep. that that's what Conor McGregor did. He was, he was flatlining everybody at the featherweight division, and that's what built his star up. Because yep. you knew when you were going to watch it. Ronda Rousey, too. Ronda Rousey had that kind of Mike Tyson appeal. It's like, how long is this fight going to last? And then as soon as Rousey lost, as soon as she lost to Holly Holm, and then she lost to Amanda Nunes, everybody turned on her. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. It's the game. That's, what, that's, that's the, the game, game, though. The game is winning. Yeah. The game is winning. I mean, I even had this conversation with a lot of fighters and newer guys. Like, they'll just be turning pro, and all of a sudden, like, how do I get sponsors? And, and I was like, you know how you yeah, get sponsors? Win. Yeah, exactly. Win. Win. And then they'll come to you. Like, like just win. If mm-hmm. you don't win, none of that stuff comes to you. If you're going to keep winning, it's going to come to you. So just win. Focus on winning. That's all you got to do. And do and do a good job at winning. And look good doing it, and then the sponsors will come. Then the opportunities will come. But you can't go to the UFC without winning. So win. That's it. In the words so, of Al Davis, great. and I'm sure you don't know who he is, just win, Not baby. Not a clue. Just win. You used all to right. play football. Like, you used to play collegiate football, and you don't know who Al Davis is. It's like it's an embarrassment. Okay. Yeah. Come on. I only watch fighting. That's all I know. Don't ask me musicians. Don't ask me about music or other sports. Just fighting, and I'm in. You know who the Red Hot Chili Peppers are, though, right? Because if yes, it, I do. Yeah, because in MMA, you have to know who the Chili Peppers are. Everybody yeah, comes out no, to the Chili I know, Peppers. I know some of the big. If you ask me to name songs, I'll be like, not a clue. No. If you start singing them to me, I'm like, oh, I know that one. That's the Red Hot Chili Peppers yeah, now. Okay. okay. Yeah. But you have to tell me, you have to explain it to me. So, yeah, not. Well, listen, Joe, you don't become as good of a fighter as you did by having other interests. Well, I could listen to some music once in a while and yeah, But you're not interested in it. You're, you're, you know you enjoy other it. Than Drake and The Weeknd yeah, and all the But the that's because you enjoy stuff. it. So you're not interested in it. You don't care about like the recording process or when their new album's coming out. Uh-huh. If someone puts something on you like, you listen to it. I probably, I'll be honest to everyone listening, it's going to sound sad. I probably total in a week maybe listen to 10 minutes of music. Not even. When I'm working out, it's a podcast on. You know, when I'm driving in the car, an audio book or something like that. But I'm never just sitting there listening to music. So I, I want you to like sad. one day just put on some some jazz and just tell your guys to move along with the music. That's all I want. I, I, that's always been a thought experiment. You uh, for me. you you said you were going to send me a playlist of something a while ago. I don't know if it was classical no, or no, not classical. Let's go jazz, jazz then. All right. If you can send me a name or a playlist, I'll throw it right on. I want you to like just, just do it with week. no pretext with your guys. Just put it on. You have a speaker system in your gym, I imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just put on like a, I'll, I'll give you like a, an album, like a jazz album, and I just just say like I just want you to move to the, to move with this music and see if it does anything with their movement. I like do. The, the, uh, I put Latino salsa, merengue, like at least, but that's, that's yeah, but that's known. But that's music that has ten, like it has a consistent beat and temp. Jazz is all over the place. Like jazz, if you can find the right stuff, it's like 
it goes to different places and it's going to trigger different parts of their brain, which I, I'm just eager to see what that would okay. do. Okay, done. All done. Right, cool. Send, me, send me the names. All right, Josh Emmett defeats Dan Ige, um, a unanimous decision. I had it for Emmett, uh, two rounds to one, but I know that uh, Dan Ige and his team weren't thrilled about the decision. Yeah, no, I, I had it. Again, I, I bet with Josh Emmett, so I get biased as soon as I throw the bet on, but I thought he won two to one, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I thought, thought he, he when he landed, round. he did the damage. Yeah, so, maybe. But, uh, maybe it was second round for Ige that he won. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, this is the thing. When, you, when you're when you a judge, and the judges will admit that this does have play a factor in how they judge fights, you see that John, Josh Emmett has at least one knockdown, I believe, in every single one of his featherweight fights. You You... When you know that about a fighter, because they do take this kind of stuff into account, you know that they are landing the more powerful shots. Like, at yeah. least you believe that yeah. that's to be the case, because they have a history of getting these knockdowns. And I, I honestly, I rewatched back um, the second Nunes Shevchenko fight yesterday. And I truly believe that that's why Amanda Nunes won that fight, is because when she's landing, if you're giving her credit for landing the bigger shots, she's the bigger fighter, she's the heavier hitter because she has more like more knockouts. I believe that that is makes the smallest difference when it comes to these fights. Yeah. And when you're fighting guys that or or women in the case of Nunes that are known to be knockout artists, you almost can't get hit. Like you have to hit them three to one almost before. And I mean, I think Font versus Aldo is a good a good case study Example, in that because yeah, I agree. Font like doubled up the amount of strikes landed, but Aldo's. You know, power is what won him that fight. Yeah, and and like you said, it's the anticipation of the power. So like, oh, are they going to land it? But when you're thinking, oh, my God, is he going to land it? Is he going to throw it? They may have ate like three jabs in the whole process of throwing the big shot, but no one's looking at the jab because they're moving backwards, and you're just Mm -hmm. so focused on that one big strike. Dan Henderson, I could say, is a good example because everybody waits for the big bomb. bomb. Yeah, Yeah, they wait for the H-bomb, and then all of a sudden he ate like three, four jabs as they're moving backwards. But when he hits you, you're like, oh, and you just get excited when it comes. And it's another thing I tell my fighters, like you have to have that one element to your game. Like if you're just if, – if you go into a fight and that opponent's not scared of anything, it's like you have to give them one thing to yeah, be scared of. I got weapon. my low kicks. Is it your left straight? Is it your knees to the face? Like have to have something your opponent's scared of. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that the judges will also notice a pattern with your fights. You know, eventually yeah. if, if you have that one primary weapon that, that lands a lot. Uh, Dominic Cruz defeats Pedro Munoz. Uh, 29-28 across the board. Um Dominic Cruz looked great. I mean, what can we say? Yeah. And I thought that he said something on the MMA Hour with Ariel uh, this week that kind of resonated with me. He said, Munoz is exactly the kind of fighters that I used to fight in the WEC. Forward motion. They, they, they walk in a straight, you know, straight line movement, mm-hmm. try to hit you with power. And like that, that is the kind of fighter that he used to fight back in the WEC. So he, he's like, this is like riding a bike for Dominic Cruz. Yeah, I thought he looked good. I still think, I mean, he looked good. But those moments that he gets hurt, they're big moments. Yeah. And I think some certain fighters don't allow people to recover from those big moments. So I think as, you know, maybe the bigger fights, like if he fights, what's the talk? Aldo, you know, maybe an Aldo. If Aldo cracks him, I don't know if Aldo's going to let you survive that way. Like, you know, that uh, Munoz let you off. Because you got to think, Munoz kind of had to pump the brakes a bit. I mean, he went really hard, found the big shots. He kind of held back. But Dominic Cruz's head, as as good as his footwork and angles are, 90% of the time, 
he gets cracked really hard 10% of the time. But 90, 90%, he's moving, he's angling, he's cracking you. Those 10% moments are very scary for Dominic Cruz. And this is the problem with Cruz as he gets older. Is like I feel like he gets much smarter. Like I feel like he's, he's got more knowledge of MMA now than he's ever had. He's, he's got a great read on every single fighter. He's researched them. He's very well researched, very well spoken. We'll talk about research, I guess, with Dominic Cruz in just a second. But yeah. uh, when you look at what he's able to do... Um, back in the day in the WEC, his footwork is so much faster. He's moving a lot faster. He's moving in different... And he still has that, but the timing isn't as good because he's older. Yeah. Like, you can't, you can't get out of the way of a punch the same way you used to be able to because your age has caught up to you in that regard and you're, you're, you're just not as quick and you're, you're, your reflexes aren't as good. So he compensates for that with a really good knowledge of the fighters that he's against and just having a really high fight IQ. But yeah. a high fight IQ will only take you so far if you're going to get hit. Yeah, I mean, I want to say, I don't know, I'll say it. I don't, I don't care. I mean, he's got good fight IQ, but if you fight a pretty good striker, like, I don't think his IQ is great. I think I look at a fighter like him as, as a pressure fighter. I think he's an easy fight just based on my style, the way he moves. What I said last week, I mean, I'm talking about the elite of the elite striking here. Like, if he fought like an Israel Adesanya, None of that smoke and mirrors is going to work. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. None of that's going to work. It works against a certain level of striker. And at, at the UFC level, you're going to get high level, but you're not mm -hmm. going to get the elite. And I a think better the example very would probably elite, be Piotr Jan, <laughs> the champion yeah, of that division. Like, Exactly, not work but him. I mean, it's not going to work against him. Mm -hmm. He's going to come forward. He's going to he's going to pressure you. He, it's not going to work against high level strikers. But those pretty good strikers, the ones that are above average, even average, they're going to fall for that smoke every single time. But uh, yeah, I, I think he looked great. I like that he did it with his age. I like the up and downs. I love how strong his mind is. There's a lot of great things to what he did. So I don't want to bash him on the the one thing. But uh, I thought great i love what he's doing i think he's showing that uh, even at the older age you can kind of repair your body have fight smart uh have smart uh fight camps and he brings uh, a lot of good knowledge so good on him a couple more notes uh tai tuivasa great win over augusto sakai uh second round would you ever do a shoey by the way if somebody spit in the drink no okay no but we do it with chance. no spit like if I if I took my shoe if, off and poured beer in it, would you drink out of it? If I just want to fight him on a super like I just one? like after I knock out Raymond Daniels, if someone handed me a beer in a shoe, eh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you got to think how excited you are in the moment. But no, I I don't like I don't mess around with people's spit, and that's disrespectful. Yeah. I don't want none of that. No, I would do a shoe with no spit. Like that would be no problem yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I mean, you're excited. If I was at a bar and someone was like, "Hey, we're serving a, the bartender wants you to drink a, a beer out of a shoe. We're gonna give you a free beer, but you have to drink it out of a shoe." And there's like no spit involved. I'll drink it. I don't care that much. Yeah, as long as I'm drinking it like would. fresh, they're pouring it and I'm drinking it right away. Yeah. I'm not too concerned. Yeah, my about friend's it. shoe. I'm not gonna uh, finish yeah, it. Though. You know, but but it's someone else's <laughs> shoe could be bad. Like yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, I, don't, I mean, but still like. I probably would if I'm having fun. Involved. I have a few beverages before. Yeah, why not? Yeah, it gives it a damn. All right. Uh, Bruno Silva, great knockout over Jordan Wright. I mean, the writing was on the wall on that one as soon as Wright got hit. It yeah, just was coming I agree. forward. Uh, yeah. Andre Munez, this guy's uh, one to watch. Another submission win, this time over Eric Anders in the first round. Nobody really finishes Eric Anders like that. That was a really I impressive know. win. Yeah, I'm excited to see him. I mean, what he's bringing in, like, again, fun jujitsu. Go in and choke people yeah. out, and we're going to keep watching Offensive jujitsu. It's fun to watch. Offensive jits, man. Mm -hmm. Aaron Blanchfield looked phenomenal against Miranda Maverick. Like, she is going to be a problem in that flyweight division. 
Yeah, that's the one fight I actually missed. Oh, so she was really that's good. one I'll have to go look back on. Uh, Ryan Hall, good win over uh, Derek Minner. Uh, you know, he's just, he's just a tough guy to beat, Ryan Hall. Like, he's just... He's a difficult guy to beat. Uh, he's, yeah, just, I, he's just so tricky. But Minner was going for takedowns at some I know, point. Which I, I did it. not... Minner should have kept hear, I even heard James Krause throwing some yeah, F-bombs. Like, like, what oh, the F are you oh, doing? Oh, Get, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but the I thing mean, is, Minner has won so many fights using his submission skills and using his craftiness on the ground that he probably believes it, believes in himself. It's just it's a different animal when you're going against a guy like a Ryan Hall. Exactly. Yep. Tony Kelly defeats uh, Randy Costa. Costa just ran out of gas as the fight went on. Yeah, we kind of predicted that too, didn't we? Yeah, like even his last round. fight with Ronnie Yaya, kind of fantastic first round fades as it goes. Adrian Yanez. Adrian Yanez. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those um, both. Jillian Robertson defeats uh, Priscilla Cachuera. Uh, four fifty nine in the first round. Cashewera getting those those thumbs deep into the eyes of uh, J- Jillian Robertson. <laughs> yeah, right in there. That's yeah. self defense one hundred and one. You know baby. what? Though? Kudos to the referee in that situation, Ton- Chris Tognoni, because yeah. you have options there. You can call a timeout and st- take a point, or because you know that there's a, cho- a choke locked in, you let it play out. You, you uh, knock the hands out of the eyes like he did, and you see how it goes. And then as, if Cachoeira is somehow able to get out of the round and she was a second away from doing so, then you take a point. I yeah, would have taken uh, a point immediately because you can take it in between rounds. Yeah, um, no, I thought it was the right call letting it yeah, go. You though. let the sequence yeah. play out. Absolutely. No, that was, the right, that was the right call. But yeah, nasty. Jeez. Like, what are you doing? You mean? Right. So well, here's what I got to ask you about. Dominic Cruz at Media Day talking about Daniel Cormier and saying that he's not well-researched, not prepared. What did you think of that? Because... Like I, listen, I have my opinions on it, but you go ahead. Well, I mean, I kind of got really into it because it was like, this is like commentator world, you know? This is my world. That's why I'm asking you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what I would like, what I, I don't like how we called him out because part of the job is research, and you're kind of saying he's not doing his job properly. Um, I don't, I don't like the way he presented it, but as I became more experienced in commentary and what I've come to realize, you got to think like. I've, I've called probably more fights than DC. I've called more fights than probably Dominic Cruz by now. They can do one every so often. I was doing every single show all the time. Like I was very active as a commentator. I realized the, sometimes the more I studied, the less you enjoy and call the fight with natural natural feeling. The more natural feeling. Like it's, it's important to know certain things like how did he win the last fight. But if you're over you're, – you're not enjoying it as, as a fan sometimes. And I think what I enjoy about DC's commentary is that he is fun with it. He it's lets his friendly. natural emotion go. Yeah. It's Yeah, like – no one really cares, and, and what I realized when I first started commentating, no one really cares about the subtle, subtle X's and O's. Like, oh, he's stepping out one inch. He could step like – they just want to talk about bigger things, what they can do, the storyline. So I think overstudying doesn't really come out well on TV anyways. And why do people prefer – the DC because it's fun, it's natural. He's reacting with, oh my god, like oh, where Dominic Cruz doesn't give you those reactions, but he gives you those X's and O's. I feel the balance between the two is ideal. Well, I think it's a product of an active fighter still doing commentary because Dominic Cruz, the commentator, doesn't say this. Like if you're doing a media day with Dominic Cruz in availability, he would never say that about DC. But then when he's the fighter, like you have Dominic Cruz, the fighter there, he's cutting weight. So he, he actually said he hadn't eaten in three days. Yeah, so he's just going to speak his mind. And Dominic Cruz speaks his mind at the best of times anyways. 
I just yeah. thought I just thought it was kind of an unacceptable thing to do. I mean, this is your friend. This is your colleague. This is something you talk to him about behind the scenes. You say, "Listen, you know, like I want to do. I like doing commentary with you, Daniel, but it comes off. It looks bad on all of us if you say blank. That yeah, kind of thing yeah. you say to him behind the scenes. To do that in a public forum, I just think is really. Um, that's kind of below the belt, honestly. I don't I, like it. I, I, I don't agree. like it. I would be pissed if Todd Grisham ever said that to me. I'd be pissed. Oh yeah. I'd be. What the heck's wrong with you? Like yeah. I could say it about him. I'll be honest. Yeah, Todd, you yeah. don't study enough. He knows that, but that's not his job to. His no. job is to call. It's my job to study it. So, like, I mean, I can call Todd out on it, but, like, I would never do that because he's right. he's a master. He's good at what he does. Like, if I had to give him some criticism, I'd say on the side, he knows what he needs to work on. But I like DC's commentary because it's more natural. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has the ups and downs. Like, could I – There's you, you can talk so much crap about Cruz's commentary as well. You know, maybe he's too monotone. Maybe he's too much in the X and O's and he's not reacting to things like you want excitement. Like when there's a knockdown, like you want both all the commentators to be excited. So, I mean, I just don't like the way he did it. Everyone has their own style. And it's just like anything else in life. I have a preference in the type of commentary I like. You have a preference in the type of commentary you like. And everyone's going to find their good balance. I kind of like who I think is almost a good balance is uh, Michael Bisping. Michael yeah. Bisping's funny, but he's also very technical. He'll also speak his mind and say it as it is. So I think he's great at it. Some people might not might not like what do they say the cheekiness. They might not like his you know over honesty. They might not like the accent, but I think is one of the best of the way he presents it. I'm with you. I think he's got a good balance between like where Cruz and Cormier is. Like if Cruz is the yeah. really really well read well-researched, high fight IQ, breaking, and he does, like you said, he breaks down a little bit too much of the nuances. Like, I think a lot of the fans watching at home don't get it. And then I think with Cormier, there's a lot of things that I've caught Cormier doing that I think is like, wow, he really messed that up, or he doesn't know this. But, like, I'm so entrenched in all of this that, like, it's almost unfair for me to do that because I'm not, like, the average viewer, and I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal, but this is what I do for a living. Like, my job is to be entrenched in this world 24 hours a day for the most part, except for when I'm sleeping. Yeah. 18 hours a day, whatever it is. Yeah, but you're dreaming about it at yeah. that time because yeah, you're thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, there are times where I have had lots of dreams about it. I, of was course. A, there was a recent one where actually I had a, I had a dream that Pena beat Nunes last week. I couldn't yeah, tell you how, right. but I, rem- I had a dream that she won. All right, we got to start. Uh, I actually almost completely disregarded dreams. it because I didn't think it was within the realm of possibility. I just like, <laughs> I just kind of was like, ah, oh, that's a weird one. That's a weird dream. Yeah. Oh, let's go make kids. Just... Let's go make breakfast for my kids. Yeah, um, there you go. Well, uh, I know you got to get going. You have your, your final training session with Michael Imperato, who I believe is in the main event of uh, Brawl in the Falls this weekend. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll be there Friday and Saturday with him. Uh, I think he's a, a special talent for Canadian mixed martial arts. I think he brings excitement. He brings action. And talking about offensive jiu-jitsu, I think he's got one of the best offensive jiu-jitsu. So that's actually him calling me. Yeah, probably no asking problem. why the door is not open. <laughs> but, uh I think he's going to be something special, and uh, I feel he's uh, honestly one or two fights away from us talking about him in uh, the UFC. So I'm excited to be working with him, um, and we'll see how things go this weekend. But, All right, Joe, uh, I will bro- disconnect with you, and I will continue. Um, I'll preview Lewis versus Dawkins. I'll talk to you uh, next week. We'll recap Lewis versus Dawkins, and we'll, uh, we'll call it a year. I'm going to be doing a, an end-of-year show. Uh, next week as well, uh, the end of your roundtable that I usually do, but I'd also love to do a round of, uh, end of your uh, show with you if you're around, but I know you've got to get to Michael, so I will let you go. And uh, right. then from there, nice I, will, uh, I will... Yeah, we will, we will talk next week, Joe, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you then. I will just continue the show uh, and talk about Lewis versus Dawkins. Lewis versus Dawkins is your main event 
Oh, this is an interesting one. And I kind of have to lean Dawkus here, but the problem is Lewis just has that weapon. He has that one primary weapon, and Lewis doesn't lose fights that often to guys that are ranked below him. I feel like we don't give Lewis enough credit sometimes. To see him as an underdog again is tough, but I've just been riding the Chris Dawkus train. I've been taking him by KO every single fight, and he keeps doing it. He keeps winning by KO. Um, so I think that's the direction I would go if I'm going to make a prediction is the Dawkus by KO. I think that if he's able to land a lot of volume against Derek Lewis... Early on, he could flummox Derek Lewis, but yeah, it's just, if Lewis baits you into that one big shot, it could be lights out. This is a, it's a really tough fight to call, and I don't think I'm going to have any real sort of pick or play on it or anything along those lines. Uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is a minus 250 favorite, Bilal Muhammad about plus 200. Another tough one to call, because Bilal Muhammad is so good everywhere. The thing is, you're trying to solve the Stephen Thompson puzzle at all times, and... It's going to be tricky, I think, for Bilal Muhammad. But I I like the price on him. I think at plus 200, you're actually getting some solid value on Bilal Muhammad. That's the direction I would go with that one. Strictly for the value, I think if I'm making a pick, I would probably lean towards Thompson. But Bilal Muhammad has a high fight IQ. I think that he might have what it takes to figure out uh, when when it comes to the puzzle that is Stephen Thompson. Uh, Amanda Lemos versus Angela Hill. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Angela Hill's. I, I think she's a great broadcaster. I think she's a great fighter. But, man, Lemos has just been completely smoking everybody that she's fought. I have to take Lamos inside the distance at plus 200. I think that's going to be one of my TSN Edge recommended plays. You know, Amanda Lamos, I just, she's got that great reach. She's got big power. She does actually something that Amanda Nunes does. She, she really puts her power at the end of her punches. And I think that that's one of the assets that makes Amanda uh, Lamos such a good fighter. Um, you're getting great value on Angela Hill, though, if you think Angela Hill is going to be able to kind of outpoint her and win a, win a decision. Um, Ricky Simone, minus 265 against Rafael Asuncao, plus 205. This is a total pass for me. Asuncao is, is a really high-quality fighter. When was the last time we saw Asuncao fight, though? That's what my big question is. It was against Sanhagen two-plus years ago. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm quite high on, on Rafael Asuncao as a fighter. I always have been, and I'm also really high on Ricky Simone as a fighter. What's the decision prop on this one? Simone by decision. It's plus 125. That might be your best bet if you're looking for value in this one. I don't think we're going to see Simone get a finish against Rafael Asuncao, one of the toughest, most durable guys to, to finish in, in MMA. So that might be my lean, would be Ricky Simone by decision. But tough fight to call overall. What's the total in this fight? The over 2.5 is minus 188. I might just parlay that with something. Honestly, I think that has a better chance of happening. You parlay that, the over in that fight, the over in Bilal Muhammad versus Stephen Thompson. Um... And the fight does not go to a decision with Chris Dawkins and uh, Harry Hunsucker, Justin Taffa. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll string together a, a long shot parlay of uh, of those four particular instances. I don't know what exactly the odds would be. Uh, Mateusz Gamrot minus two hundred against Carlos Diego Fajeja. Gamrot is a great fighter, but man, so is Fajeja. You know, if if I could tell you whether or not Fajeja is like a, just a little bit past his prime, which in recent fights, because he's fought such tough guys like Benil Dariush, um, you know, I just, I, I, I don't know. I can't confidently say whether or not Fajeja is, has his best days behind him or if he's just fought really good competition. And that's what my, my problem is. That's why I'm staying away from that one. Uh, Cub Swanson against Darren Elkins. Swanson minus 215, Elkins plus 265. I, I like the Elkins side here for the value. Um, I would probably take it by decision. If I was going to take anything, it would be Elkins' decision. If you can get a good price, plus 420. I think that's probably the way that I would go with this, is the Elkins' decision prop. Because I think that if Elkins can just get land that takedown in each round, like, and, and utilize his ground and pound, he, he can win at least two of the rounds of this fight. I think it does go to a decision, though. Uh, Gerald Mearshart against Dustin Stoltzfus. 
Um, Dustin Solstice is mostly a grappling-based fighter, and if you're a grappling-based fighter and you're facing the, the best, the, the guy with the most submissions in middleweight history in Gerald Mearshart, I have to side with Mearshart. Mearshart by submission is plus 180. Mearshart inside the distance is minus 110. Maybe they, they, neither of them decides to grapple and it becomes a striking uh, bout, in which I, I would still favor Mearshart in that case. So Mearshart inside the distance at minus 110 is uh, the way I would lean. I don't think this one goes to a decision. I think you're getting a good price on Mearshart inside uh, compared to his money line value because I, I really don't see this fight going the distance. Uh, Howney Barcelos, minus 335. Victor Henry plus 250. I've heard great things about Victor Henry. I've, I've heard he's a really good fighter. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to go back and watch some of his older fights, but I've always been so high on Rowney Barcelos. I think that this guy is one of the most underrated guys in the division. Just doesn't seem to get that many fights, and he seems like he's always having issues getting fights against higher-level fighters, higher-level opponents. So I think with a newcomer like this, I have to side with Barcelos. He might be parlay material. Uh, I'm not sure who I would parlay him with just yet, but uh, we'll take a look later in the card. Justin Taffa, minus 335. Harry Hunsucker, plus 250. I would avoid this one in terms of money line, but I would take the fight that doesn't go to a decision. I mean, the under two and a half rounds is minus 300. The fight doesn't go is minus 400. That, to me, is probably material as well. You can probably that with Barcelos. Probably that with the, uh, the main event doesn't go to a decision. Any of those scenarios, I think, uh, likely plays out. Uh, Melissa Gatto is a plus 155 underdog against Sajara Eubanks. Eubanks looking great at flyweight. I, I was especially um, impressed by how she looked on the scale in her last fight. Uh, against the least read. Uh, I like the Eubanks side here at minus 190, 195. What's Eubanks inside the distance or Eubanks by submission? Eubanks submission plus 550. Eubanks KO plus 600. Eubanks inside at plus 300 might be something that I would uh, I would sprinkle on. Uh, Charles Jordan minus 200. Andre Euro plus 160. Um, I like the Jordan by decision side. In fact, I just like the over 2.5 at uh, minus 125. I think that's probably the direction I would go in. Uh, for this one is the over two and a half rounds minus 125. I think it'll be a pretty frenetic fight, but Andre Ewell's not an easy guy to get out of there. And while he is fighting up a weight class against uh, Charles Jordan, um, I think that this fight goes the distance. We'll have to see if I'm right on that. I'm sure Charles Jordan will disagree if I were to tell him that. Uh, Macy Chason, plus 160. Raquel Pennington, minus 200. I like the Chason side here. I think plus 260 is great value for Macy Chason. Pennington looked great in her last fight. I don't want to take anything away from her. Um, who did she fight last? She fought uh, Pani, Pani Kianzad, won that fight by decision. But uh, I've been really high on Macy Chason. She trains at a good camp. I'm sure she's made a lot of improvements. She's still fairly new to MMA. So uh, I, I like her here, plus 160. That's the side I'm going with uh, for that one. Dante Mays, minus 200. Josh Parisian, plus 160. The over 2.5 is plus 102. That's probably how this one goes. I think this goes to a decision, which is tough to say with heavyweights. But... This is a total pass for me. I think that it's, it's lined correctly. Uh, Matt Sales, minus... Basically, it's a coin flip fight. Jordan Levitt, Matt Sales. I like Matt Sales in this fight. I think Matt Sales will uh, will find a way to win this one. Uh, probably by decision. It's plus 250 for Sales by decision. Considering a Sales money line play, but uh, I'm not that high on it. It opened at Sales like plus 180 or something, and that was a total gift. Yeah, plus 185 Matt Sales. I said to a bunch of friends... Bet, bet Matt sales now. This line is not going to stay this way, and it did not. It moved down to even money almost like hours later. So uh, if you could have gotten sales at that opening price, more power to you. All right, there's my uh, preview for UFC Fight Night, Dawkins versus Lewis. A pretty abridged preview, but I'll get into it uh, in more detail with Dan Tom later this week before the event uh, as we will preview it on uh, on Twitter. And I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, any other big stories? Uh, Eagles FC Khabib Nurmagomedov's uh, promotion did a press conference. Today, introducing Kevin Lee, 
to the promotion and saying that he's going to be fighting at 165 pounds. They're going to open 165 to 175 pound divisions in Eagles FC. And I think that that is probably a product of Khabib being the guy who's running the show. Because Khabib, I'm sure, would have liked to fight at 165 pounds if he could have. So Kevin Lee signs a multi-fight deal. No opponent named. Uh, he'll be fighting at 165 pounds. And basically, I think they're going to have their home base in Miami. They're going to be doing a lot of American shows. So nice to see because I think that it's nice to see another good regional player, especially ones that are willing to sign bigger names like a Kevin Lee, like a Tyrone Spong, like a Sergei Karitanov. Uh, apparently, Junior Dos Santos might be in talks with them as well. Those are some nice big names in the sport. So I uh, am looking forward to seeing what happens there. I think that that is uh, a situation where you're going to see a lot of good fighters that, and I guess Hennon Brow is also fighting for them. Like those kind of names joining up and fighting uh, in a promotion that I think is also going to be used to build up a lot of names that haven't made it to a major promotion yet. So I like what I'm seeing with Eagle FC in terms of what they are going to be doing going forward. And I think that signing Kevin Lee is a great step in the right direction. Happy to see Kevin Lee land on his feet after being released from the UFC. Um, Kayla Harrison is kind of in a weird spot. She hasn't uh, said where her next move is going to be. It seemingly is between the PFL and the UFC, with Bellator being a bit of a dark horse, having Cyborg under their umbrella. Should be interesting. If I had to guess today, it would be a different guess than it would have made three weeks ago. I think she's going to end up in the UFC. And uh, I'm eager to see what they do because I think they're going to have to build an entire division around her to to get her the amount of fights that I'm sure she wants in a calendar year. But uh, Kayla Harrison is the real deal. And I think that she might have lost, unless the deal was already signed, she might have had to leave some money on the table with Amanda, uh, Amanda Nunes losing this past weekend. Because from what I understand, she had moved seats before that fight. So does that mean that she was going to square off with Nunes in the cage and they were going to promote that one? I don't know. But... Yeah, I can't imagine that Nunez losing, not only from a financial standpoint, but also from the, from a, a point of uh, the fact that she's a friend of Nunez and training partner of Nunez. I'm sure she probably didn't like to see Nunez lose that fight in that regard either. So, interesting to see uh, where Kayla Harrison goes from here. I think that's going to be a story to follow in the next uh, couple weeks. She said she hoped to announce her next move by the end of the year. And, I mean, I think the choice is going to be between the legacy that she could earn by fighting for a couple of years in the UFC versus the amount of money that she'd be leaving on the table by leaving the PFL. Interested to see how that all plays out. Um, John Kavanaugh, I believe he was on the MMA Hour and said that he thinks Conor McGregor will likely have an early summer return. So that's uh, interesting because, you know, if Dustin Poirier wants to take some time off, it would be a good segue into a potential quadrilogy fight with a diamond. We'll see how that goes. Anything else uh, that I have not touched on just yet? Nothing I can think of. All right. Let's uh, put a bow on this one. We'll be back next week. And as I mentioned, I'm going to be doing a roundtable next week. uh, End of year roundtable with some of my colleagues. The same ones that I did with last year. uh, Mike Bond of MMA Junkie. Sean Al Shaddy, now of MMA fighting, was uh, with The Athletic last year. And uh, Mark Raimondi of ESPN. We're going to sit and talk about uh, the awards for this past year, what we should be looking forward to next year, some bold predictions for the uh, the coming year. And uh, then we will go from there. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.